Welcome to the Healthcare Excellence Through Technology podcast. Designed by the healthcare industry for the healthcare industry, subscribe to stay up to date with the latest in digital health developments to help you on your digital transformation journey. First of all, uh, welcome. Um, and um, I guess it'd be helpful for the audience um, if we understand um, you know, uh, who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm Chris Bates. I'm a, a research director uh, at TPP. Um, and I've been working in uh, digital health for about 16 years now, um, following on from, uh, I was an academic mathematician previously, um, and then found my way into, into healthcare and software. Um, so I work really as a software developer and a data scientist um, on a day-to-day basis, and I've worked across lots of NHS programs, both in, in sort of, you know, direct care, uh, in general practice, and out into hospital settings, and also um, very much involved in the secondary use of data. Uh, so that's using, you know, using data for audit purposes, for service evaluation, um, for support in surveillance, and, and very importantly, um, certainly in the context of this conversation, for research. So, um, you know, you know, heavily involved, for example, in projects like UK Biobank and um, the Board in Bradford study, um, you know, for those sort of cohort studies. And then um, very recently, as we were talking about today, I've been involved in all the Open Safely uh, development in terms of, and, and, you know, all many facets of that in terms of the governance, uh, the technical aspects of that, and also contributing to uh, data curation and research. And I guess for people out there who don't know, uh, you know who TPP are, uh, we use a lot of acronyms these days. Uh, I, I guess, you know, in terms of, I guess, the clinical context, um, you know, you know they're, 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 maybe people would know them as, you know, system one. Um, so, so um, you know, so, so system one, my understanding is um, the electronic health record that's used by, what was it 40% uh, of the UK's uh, GPs and primary care services, is that correct? Yeah, so, so, so we are, um, yeah, we're a clinical systems provider and a, uh, electronic health records provider um, based here in the UK and we've been going for about 21 years now um, and we are I think it's fair to say known as a GP provider but actually our first deployments were really in hospital settings. Um, oh really? Yeah, going back to, to that time it was all about uh, joining up um, from the very start joining up a diabetes clinic with general practice uh, to allow the, the flow of information there and it started there so we've always been um, a cloud-based solution and we've always been uh, trying to improve integrated care and um, if we fast forward to today we uh, yeah as we would have about 2700 general practices uh, about the same number of community units uh, but then we also provide the system for the prisons um, where we've got deployments in about 30 percent of acute trusts um, in the country uh, do lots of child health scheduling about half of the children in the country are on the system for that so we're, we're involved in uh, about 25 different care settings from everywhere from sort of, you know emergency department um, down into community uh, and we we now hold uh, you know the rec- electronic health records uh, the comprehensive gp record for more than 25 million people and, and wow. uh, electronic health record for more than 50 million uh, in england so it's you know it's a, it's a sizable operation Wow, so I mean, I mean that is huge. I mean, we, that, that is that is proper big data, right? <laughs> it's what we're talking about here. So, how do you compare to, I guess, you know, other electronic health records globally uh, in terms of the number of records you have? I mean, you must be right up there. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, mean, I think there's two dimensions to it. There's the, you know, in terms of those raw numbers of, of patient records, you know, it's, it's you know, 50 million is a uh, really significant number. Uh, but the other dimension is that, you know, UK data, certainly UK primary care data is extraordinarily rich and has been for, for a long time. So these records are very comprehensive and, you know, have go back into years and years and years in terms of all medication. Um, all immunizations, diagnoses, symptoms, so they're a really rich data set. So from so both dimensions, it's, it's you know, massively powerful data in terms of raw numbers, but also in terms of um, how comprehensive that coverage is. I think the other thing that, that kind of sets UK data apart sometimes is that, and, and certainly uh, the data we're talking about in Open Safely, um, is it's been built around you know, clinical usage rather than globally we'll see systems which have been focused on billing, for example. And actually, if you want to do, uh, you know, important epidemiology billing information, you know, has limited use when you want to, if you, when you combine, you know, contrast that, sorry, to, uh, to looking at clinical data that's been curated over a long time, um, you know, in that, that longitudinal record, it gives massive power and a massive advantage really for the UK. And I think a thing that we have been able to do well throughout this COVID crisis is to use that data to inform, um, uh, sort of not only not only national information on that, but international information. So I think the uh, the comparison really is there. It's rich data. Uh, and it's data at massive scale. So in terms of um, COVID, and you, you've mentioned you know open safely. So I guess you know for um, for people out there, you know if you can just tell us what open safely actually is, um, you know, and what you know, and what and what it will continue to be. Yeah, sure. So so open safely. Um, it's, it's a bit like system one. It's got many, many meanings actually. But open safely, really, uh, I suppose the, the best way to describe it is it, it is the collaborative between um, uh, us as EHR vendors, you know, suppliers, and uh, Ben Goldacre's team, um, Ben's team at Oxford, and Liam's team at London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, um, to create a research platform for, for allow, to, to, to allow um, this kind of large scale research. So. Um, in this instance, um, what we were talking about with TPP, that Open Safely Collaborative has created this database underneath this data platform um, uh, for you know massive scale primary care data linked to um, important external data sources. So what we have is uh, that collaborative with the ability in a really secure way to be able to access um, million, you know, 25 million primary care records linked to hospital data, linked to uh, ICU data linked to testing data, you know, a really sort of comprehensive data set um, that allows these important analyses to run. What's uh, new about Open Safely is one that it's that collaborative, that direct collaborative, you know, we're speaking on a, a daily basis between vendors and research teams, uh, but also we've sort of shifted the paradigm in ten, in, instead of trying to move the data away from the uh, uh, the vendor's platform. So in our case, that's, you know, all the data is held in tier three accredited NHS data centers for the purposes of direct care. You know, so when you go to see your GP, they're, they're retrieving your record in order to make good clinical decisions about you. And that information is all stored in, in our uh, accredited data center. What we've done with Open Safely is to keep that data there. So it lives in situ. So we've built um, a de-identified version of that with all the permissions from NHS England and NHSX. I mean, this is an NHS England data asset. We shouldn't forget that. Um, we built that database inside that data center. And then we have layers of, of, um, of uh, confidentiality protection, which 
um, and enable the researchers to get access to the powerful data they need, but without compromising confidentiality at, at, at any point. So we think it's a really secure mechanism, um, you know, primarily built on the fact that we don't export any data. So there's not big data extracts shifting around. It's all living inside those data centers. So, um, so there it is. So that's it. It's that collaboration, that big database. Um, which is absolutely fantastic and it makes perfect sense. So, so it's the kind of question that comes to my mind is, you know, why has this not happened before? Um, you know, and uh, is it because the technology wasn't there? Is it, is it because um, you know, there wasn't those kind of relationships or the need for that information? Yeah, I mean, I think the need has always been there. And I think we've all often talked quite rightly in, in the UK about the power of some of the data that's collected across the NHS and, and how we can leverage that um, in, in many different ways to support um, research and to support direct care. So I think the need has always been there. I think the idea of, of having that, that close relationship, those relationships is really important. Um, I think you do get situations where everybody is well-meaning uh, and, and wanting to help achieve, you know, good secondary data usage. Um, but the further you, you sort of move from, a, you know, the actual research team and analysis they want to do to the vendors who know the data, when people are, uh, there's chains of people there, then I think that can become difficult. So I think actually having that close relationship, having those smaller teams working in a, in a very agile way on a daily basis. I mean, lest we forget, most of us on the Open Safety Collaborative have never met in real life. Um, it's all yeah. been, you know, via Slack channels and Zoom uh, and GitHub. So it's been um, uh, you know, great to have those sort of small teams working on it and, and quite focused on it. And then I also think it's fair to say, you know, the, the demand was there to do something very, very quickly. We had to do this. So, 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 tell me a bit about that because I mean, you know, um, I don't know, I kind of have it in my head that you, you were probably sitting there in, 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 you know, having breakfast, you know, with a coffee in your hand, the phone rings and, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and then you know, someone on the end of the line saying, hi, can we have a conversation around COVID please? I mean, I mean how did that, how did well, it come it's about? Very good. So, so the sort of last, we were at um, uh, a digital health event in London, the last one in peacetime, really, about the start of March. Um, and uh, we know Ben from uh, previous uh, work that we've, that we've done um, around some work around um, the open prescribing uh, program that the EBM Data Lab uh, run. So we, we, you know, we had a relationship there and we bumped into Ben and we were talking about the, uh, some potential research for the future. And we arranged to have a call um, sort of a couple of weeks later and it, it's fair to say that covid was looming large at you know at that time it was very much a clamor for hand sanitizer and no one was shaking hands etc um and then when we actually got through round to having the call about a, you know a completely different research area around decision support um sort of about halfway through that call it was like should we, should we discuss anything else and it was you know what we could do with doing is standing up and you know in the context of a global emergency a, a massive platform for for covid research and then it was kind of a whirlwind <laughs> so you know the end of that call um involved me going to chat to the directors here at tpp and i think within five minutes we called them back and said look we are we're well up for this um you know we we can support the infrastructure we can put the resource on this asap let's start the you know, the processes, the technical processes running, the governance processes, um, the ethics processes, you know, the parallel streams we, we needed uh, to put in place to, to make that happen. And I think then we were um, sort of from, the, from that conversation to the first time that we were shipping results to uh, CMO and, 
CSA was about 42 days. Um, so it was, you know, it was an incredibly quick process then. So, um, but that is how it happened. It was just from that phone call. This is, can we, do you want to get involved in this? Of course. Right. Uh, so so, so it, it was you guys that kind of instigated it. So, so I guess in terms of resources then, so this is all of what you, your own back as in your team and Ben's team, or, you know, was there much kind of support provided by, you know, kind of government bodies for this? Yeah, I mean, I mean, so, so in terms of the support, in terms of getting um, the governance in place, and you know the, the data flows uh, that we needed for the linked data sets from NHSE and NHSX, and then um, other arms length bodies of time have gone on since NHS Digital has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, people have been working extraordinarily hard um, to make this happen. Uh, however, there just wasn't time to wait for funding to do this. So there's been no um, external funding, either the academic or the industry side so far. You know, we we're in a situation where we had the infrastructure in those tier three data centres, as we said, and we, we uh, Frank Hester, our chief exec, was more than happy for us to say, let's repurpose some things now so we can support this work. And yes, take a team and let's make it happen. So... Um, um, I, it just one, you know, if it would be easier and definitely, we are, the, the the process now is to scale up and to onboard more research teams and funding streams um, are certainly important for that. Certainly at uh, the Oxford and London School of Hygiene Tropical Medicine side, um, but we just couldn't wait. I think if we'd have waited, we'd possibly still have been here. Whereas we were able to ship, um, you know, a very big study very quickly um, because. Um, we were committed at every side to just doing this um, as quickly as possible with none of that sort of financial structure there. I mean, I mean, I, I work in secondary care, you know, and at least just intensivist, and you know, I don't have any insight into you know, the data that, that comes out of uh, primary care, and which is a real shame. I mean, other than kind of portals or very specific things, and actually, I think you know what, you know, my brain is just you know, whirring over in terms of ideas and stuff, you know, so. You know, is that you've got your aim, you know, in the longer term, you know, so you, you start with you know, big research houses like, like Ben's, uh, but, but ultimately, you know, to try and get down to that kind of, you know, uh, frontline staff member or teams, you know, who are thinking, you know, what, you know, we can really improve our service if we could get hold of these people earlier in their you know, di disease journey, shall we say, you know, um, and you know, you know, how can we tap into you know, that data? Is that, is that where you, you see this going? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think I think the one of the other real bonuses of the collaboration, and you know, as it goes forward and, and moves away from um, you know just an open safely platform for COVID towards this same sort of approach, you know, hopefully continuing with open safely, but keeping that um, EHR vendor and researcher relationship. I think one important aspect is we we can always have an eye on how can we build you know the results of this research back into clinical systems. So. I think there's a big opportunity here to to move away from a situation where sometimes important research um, can be published, but actually translating that back into um, genuine clinical practice, or you know, more specifically, translating the results of say you know risk prediction alg algorithms back into um, clinical systems. Uh, we probably haven't sorted that yet. It's probably in, you know th there could be a lot more work going on to get. Uh, these kind of important results into systems across across the world really um, I think having us there as vendors is useful for a couple of reasons one um, we know what sources of data are available that direct care that may not be you know quite so you can 
put that another way, you can spend a long time curating a very, very powerful research data set, which has lots of linked data items, etc. But that if it's something, you know, if you're coming up with results and algorithms based on that data set that are impossible to realize in the real world, uh, because, you know, this has taken months to, to curate, and maybe you don't have those data flows um, happening as part of routine, you know, sort of business as usual, then you're going to struggle to take some of those results and put them in. So I think uh, actually having an eye on what can, what can we do back in the real world with these, uh, you know, important analytic results uh, is very important. And the other nice thing about this is, often the the analysts and the researchers will want to know if something's possible in the data uh, and they'll want to know what's recorded are there any proxies i can use to uh, to understand this, com this component of the data and it might say that might be about household composition or it might be about country of birth or ethnicity and because we as vendors work with that data you know on a daily basis as part of the day job and have done so for a long time. We know a lot of a, a lot of what's going on there, so we can often help you know communicate back. Maybe maybe there is a way of doing this, or you know there be dragons. I wouldn't look at that component of data. Maybe it's not the quality you expect. So I do see I do see it very much going towards how can we intervene in direct care and how we can we use you know better sort of use the results of of secondary use and analysis back into digital health systems. Uh, and I do think that that vendor and researcher relationship is massively important yeah. too. I, mean, I think you covered you know, a couple of really important points. You know, uh, you know, one is around you know, research itself, you know, and, you know, papers wherever they're published are, you know, are very um, two dimensional in my mind. You know? So it's, it's a very bespoke population that's been um, you know, um, examined um, and it's, it's fixed in time in many ways and, and that just is not real life and yet as clinicians we often take that and we translate it across into our own practices um, potentially you know not in the right context you know and then and we wonder why these things don't work right and so um, so I, I'm quite cynical about research in general uh, on, on that basis because because it doesn't translate uh, in, in, into the real world and so, so I'm guessing you know what I see here is the potential to have almost like a live feed of research in the sense that you know you can say you know what I, I can I can pick up that platform you know and, and the algorithms and actually they can continually learn um, and continually adjust and optimize to my population um, yeah, and that that is like wow I mean that would be amazing I completely agree and, and I think COVID's a really good example of that because we're learning all the time um, and, and and the situation on the ground is changing all the time so for example you know coefficients for, for uh, risk prediction algorithms will change as we get more information as the information changes. I think there's a, you raise a really important point and I think that we do need to strive to aim for that situation where we can almost have that, um, you know, that rolling improvement of algorithms um, as long as we've got the science right. I think there is a challenge for us all to address that is, you know, where do we go with medic medical device legislation? for that kind of approach because the MHRA want to um, validate some algorithms that are used like this and we don't quite have the processes in place yet to say you know how do I do that on a with an algorithm which which the coefficients will change where the algorithm will develop over time and how do we put a framework around that sort of safety of algorithm approach without having to go through you know what has been the historical process of uh, here is an algorithm we can validate yeah. it and so, maybe it'll be another version in two years' time. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, so do you think, I mean, so, so in, in many ways, what they're asking for is, you know, 
is almost the opposite of what is needed, right? Is they're asking for, you know, assurances for something which actually you can't assure because it's continually changing, right? So, so I guess then it comes down to, in my head, then is then the issue around the kind of transparency. So, you know, if people kind of can see the coefficient and kind of, you know, the, the least, it's difficult to say, it's, you know, as humans, you know, whenever I look at, for example, a cardiac output monitor, I look at it and I go, I don't believe the figures, right? You know, and, and, and that's how, how we behave, right? You know, so if it aligns with what we think, then we go, yeah, I, I believe it, you know. So, so, so in many ways, I guess, if you have that kind of transparency of what the algorithm contained and the understanding of what it meant, and, and they're two very, very different things here, then maybe you get more buy-in um, from the regulators and, and from the end users to say, you know what, we know this isn't perfect and this is a guide, but actually if we all engage in this, we'll get it better and better and better and better. But, it, but the understanding is it will never ever be perfect. Yeah, I, I, to, to, to add to that, I think you know, some, of the, some of these algorithms get to the point, this is, plays into medical device legislation, some of these algorithms get very complex and they're difficult to interpret, even if you, you know, can see coefficients, et cetera. Some aren't, some are uh, beautifully simple. But uh, on top of that, I think, I think if you could have a, um, you know, a range of metrics whereby it's, you're testing yourself new versions of the algorithm against those metrics to make sure that, um, you know, there hasn't been, you know, you, you, you can't do that exact, um, as you absolutely allude to, you can't do that exact assurance piece ex just as the coefficients change, but you can definitely have a layer around it to say, we know this is, hasn't moved too far away from the validated version. Everything is working within bounds. And I think they're the kind of things that will give pe people um, confidence that what's been put into a production environment um, is still performing as expected. Um, and I think we just, as a, uh, a scientific community and a clinical community need to um, pretty quickly come together with, you know, what we think the shape of that framework has looked like. And I know there's been, there's certainly been some work um, taking place in, uh, in NHSX and MHRA around this. Um, so I think we will see movement with it uh, pretty quickly over the next few months. So it, it, obviously we're going to be speaking to Ben and, and understanding his, uh, you know, uh, getting his views on the Open Safely and uh, on what it's done for COVID and going forward. So what I'm keen to understand is uh, how has that relationship developed? And you know, do you find yourself aligned on, on everything? Or do you find that, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know TPP up from Venus and Ben Gold, AK is from Mars kind of thing, you know? I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, I've heard Ben talk, you know, and he's a very passionate guy. But have there have there been you know, moments of conflict, shall we say? I mean, uh, no, <laughs> not at all. I mean, what I think what's interesting is that Ben's team, uh, uh, the EBM Data Lab in Oxford, and and the teams here at TPP, we work in a very similar way, in the sense that it's a kind of we work on this project as smallish groups. We're trying to do things quickly in an agile way. We try and talk. Uh, incredibly frequently you know rather than scheduling meetings every so often um, so it's that kind of you know really quick meeting in the morning um, over zoom when we were actually building open safely uh, an active slack channel where you know there's different uh, members of the team talking about you know there'd be a governance uh, kind of channel and then there'd be a technical channel and an epi channel um, so and I think that that way of trying to resolve things quickly trying to do things at pace not stacking up issues and then having a, a longer meeting but just really moving um all the time is this kind of commonality between both teams and it's worked incredibly well um so 
those having those lines of communication all the time have been brilliant. I, I'm smiling because definitely times when um, I'm not sure what the epidemiologists are talking about. I'm sure there's times when we really happy guys and sure what we're talking about. And then there's this there's this sort of sweet spot of person that sits within Oxford University who can do uh, juggle both developer sides and epi sides uh, who are incredibly useful in this relationship. I think one thing you. Know, you, you is, is, is the culture right so, so what you, you're describing is actually a culture of, of you know um, collaboration which is you know really close you know it's not this kind of light touch approach that we often see with with, with some suppliers um you know and uh, the need for you know paper to you know go here go there scheduled meetings and stuff you know and, and that kind of culture doesn't really exist you know in in in, in enough uh, in a large amount in, in the NHS, it, it, from, from my personal experience, you know, and, and that's a real shame, actually, you know. Um, but and I, I, you do wonder sometimes whether um, you know, we need to change the NHS to have that kind of, you know, what, um, things aren't can't always be perfect. You know, but if, if we work closely, if, if we work a bit more on the fly, we'll get a lot more done, actually. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've just from with the so, you know this external data sets provided by NHS England, the NHS X teams, uh, have been, those teams have been working, you know, in a really similar way. So again, it's been, um, you know, conversations as, as frequently as there needs to be, um, you know, every, everybody working hard, as everybody has been during this, this crisis, you know, late hours and weekends to, to get the data and uh, pretty much open channels of communication. So it has been uh, absolutely great to see that, that sort of culture develop. And, and I agree, long may it continue because I think there's a great deal of opportunity here. Fantastic. I mean, I mean Chris, um, you know, thank you very much, uh, you know, for giving us insights into well, well, one yourself and TPP, but also, you know, Open Safely. And you know, it's phenomenal what you have achieved in such a short period of time, you know, and, you know, for, for myself and hopefully those who are listening, you know, it's really clear that actually, you know, it's that culture, it's, it's that, 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 that willingness to kind of, you know, embrace that that challenge uh you know and, and just say you know we don't know where we're going to go with this but actually if we all work together then something amazing could happen and it, and it has quite clearly so thank you very much thank you thank you for listening sign up to our podcast for the latest digital health developments or visit hetshow.co.uk for the latest info on the het live event as well as news and updates from the best in health tech